The person filming that was Philip Herring. Uh, he and Jan are there in Rwanda. The person doing the baptizing is Josiah Luttrell, who um, uh, was connected to our church uh, and mainly by marriage to uh, the formerly Stephanie Freeman. Uh, and uh, uh, they're there in Rwanda as missionaries. And we are excited to see all that God is doing there. That church uh, baptized 11 people yesterday. Amazing. More than that, that church plant that, our, that we partner with there, uh, that church plant has baptized 59 people in 22 months. Amazing, amazing. So we're excited uh, to partner there. Uh, the pastor is, um, I think he's like 20-something years old, uh, single, uh, but God has lit a fire in him, and uh, it, it's amazing what God is doing uh, through that young uh, pastor. Uh, so we're excited to partner with them in sharing the gospel. Uh, as you um, begin uh, today, I just want you to let that sink in, that we partner with others in sharing the gospel. Um, that, that's something that this church is committed to do and passionate in doing. Uh, so, uh, we're coming to the last of the parables of the kingdom in Mark chapter 4. We began with the first parable, the parable of uh, the sower and the soils, uh, the different four kinds of soil, some good, some bad, and, and uh, the good produced a harvest that was four, one through 20. And then uh, last week we looked at the parable of the lamp. Uh, and then today we're looking at the parable of the seeds. Uh, you've got the growing seed and you've got the mustard seed. So go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4. Uh, remind you that on Wednesday night, online, beginning at 6 o'clock, we're going through uh, uh, the gospel of Mark as well. We're looking um, last week, last Wednesday night, we looked at the uh, uh, power of Jesus to heal. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, this, um, let, let me look, um, this Wednesday night, uh, we're doing, uh, the, uh, uh Jesus healing a leper and, uh, the, the outcast. And so we're going to look at that, uh, in Mark chapter one, uh, that's Wednesday night online, uh, starting at six o'clock. Uh, and if you miss it, you can go back and look at it through our media, um, uh, YouTube and all that kind of stuff. All right, so uh, encourage you to do that. That gives you a bigger picture of what Mark's gospel is all about. We're going to continue this all the way to June, okay? We're going through Mark's gospel, and it's going to be a wonderful journey, all right? Um, second thing I want to remind you of is that uh, we are a church that prays together, and at one o'clock for one minute, I want to encourage you to join me in praying for this one thing. One o'clock, one minute praying for one thing, and this is the one thing. It's going to come up on the screen. We're going to pray for one thing at one minute. There it is. Uh, pray that our church would sow the seed of the gospel intentionally and extravagantly. So every day at one o'clock for about one minute, invite you to join me and hundreds of others in praying this prayer. God, will you 
make sure that the First Norfolk family and me as part of that family, uh, that we as a church would share the gospel intentionally and extravagantly. All right? Uh, And uh, you'll see the importance of that as we uh, look to what God has called us to be and to do Uh, we're going to see through these parables how important sharing the gospel is. Uh, The last thing I'd say is, again, my delight and my duty as pastor. Uh, A pastor of a church has two primary duties. There are other things that we do, but two primary things. The first uh, is to preach the word. The second is to pray for the people. And I pray for you uh, and I want to ask you again to help me pray for you. Uh, You take one of those blue cards uh, at the end of the rows or in the racks in front of you. You take one of those blue cards, write down any and all prayer requests. And uh, I I am praying those prayer requests. I uh, had to go from Tuesday to Wednesday and even into Thursday uh, praying for you. Uh, It begins on Tuesday. And so uh, just encourage you, please, uh, I, I, I delight in bringing you before the throne of God. And uh, uh, it, it, uh, there's just something powerful uh, when we pray for one another. And it is a powerful thing for me personally in my spiritual journey uh, to, to, uh, to petition the Father on your behalf. So uh, would you just do me that favor and uh, write down the prayer requests? And uh, you can do it. it doesn't have to be a blue card. Any piece of paper will do. And you can put it in the offering boxes, those little boxes uh, right there in the, right by the doors. You put it there, uh, drop it in there, or you can uh, take it to the next step st- uh, station in the grand lobby, or you can give it to me. Uh, and uh, I will pray specifically uh, those requests uh, this week. All right? So that, that's, that's a wonderful privilege uh, for me to do. All right. Mark chapter 4. Uh, you know, one of the things that I love to do is watch football. Uh, and I love to watch um, uh, football and hear uh, some commentators talk about football. I, I'll watch football with the mute button on because sometimes that's just better. Uh, but there's one commentator, one, one person that I love to listen to, uh, and uh, a, a former coach that I love, and that's Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy, uh, I love him as a coach, not because he coached uh, one of the greatest University of Tennessee volunteer football players, quarterbacks of all time, Peyton Manning. Uh, I love him uh, not because he coached it in Tampa Bay and then in Indiana, Indianapolis. I, I love him because of the kind of character he displays and how he demonstrates his walk with Jesus, no matter what no matter where. Tony Dungy is one of these guys that stands strong, even when it seems like the cultural winds are blowing against him. This past week, uh, he went through the cancel culture gauntlet because of his stance about uh, the truth of God's Word that uh, really does fly in the face of much of the cultural moments that we have uh, in, in American culture today. And, and, you know, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is going to stand. Our views are shaped not by culture, but by the Word of God. And we must stand. And, and if you remember, the last two weeks, we've looked 
at these parables, the first point is either listen to Jesus or pay attention to what you hear. Those were the first points in the last two parables that we looked at. What does that mean? It means that we look to God's Word to give us insight, direction, counsel, and everything else. And the Word of God, the Bible, um, is the rule for how we live. Tony Dungy believes that, and that causes him to um, publicly say things that get him in trouble. And so, with culture, but not with Jesus, God says, well done. And, and, and so, Tony Dungy is okay with that. Um, but we, we look at that situation, that circumstance, where people who are public figures, who are followers of Jesus, and they take a stand that is contrary to popular culture, um, it, it gets a firestorm. I mean, they, there are people calling for Tony Dungy to be fired because he has a conviction that is different than popular culture about certain issues. But his conviction is not based upon a subjective experience. His conviction is based upon the Word of God. He's an example of the way we should be living. Uh, on top of that, Tony Dungy is one of the kindest men you'll ever meet. I've had the privilege of meeting him one time. He's one of the kindest men you'll ever meet. He is the type of guy who uh, does amazing things, demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, most people, when they meet Tony Dungy, they think, what a great guy. And they look at what he's done and what he does in the communities, and they think, what a great guy. But then all of a sudden, he makes a statement that is in line with the Word of God, but contrary to contemporary culture, and he goes through the cancel culture gauntlet. But that's the kind of uh, a world in which we live today. Now, the reality is, um, there's much about our culture that would cause us, as followers of Christ, to think, is the kingdom of God winning or is it losing? Uh, there's much about culture today that when we hear it or when we see it or, um, uh, you know, when you look at some of the things that are accepted today in culture um, that are absolutely contrary to what God's Word says. I mean, in those moments, we think, is the kingdom of God winning or is it losing? When the March for Life, which happens in D.C. every year, happened this past week, and when the March for Life is characterized by some as hate-mongering, you wonder, is the kingdom of God winning or losing? I've got good news. Oh, I've got good news. C.S. Lewis, um, uh, and by the way, every pastor, preacher gets to quote C.S. Lewis, but there's a quota. After a certain amount of quotes, you can't quote C.S. Lewis anymore. Today is January the 21st. I am using up my quota today. I'm going to give you three C.S. Lewis quotes in a row. First one comes from uh, his essay, God in the Dock. C.S. Lewis writes, a sign of culture, of a culture that has lost its faith, is when moral collapse follows spiritual collapse. 
We're certainly having a moral collapse. I'm not saying it's bigger than before. I'm not, I think it is maybe. Maybe different. I don't know, but we're having a moral collapse. And the question then we've got to ask is, have we had a spiritual collapse? If you just read the sign of culture, you think, man, our culture has lost its faith. Second quote, once people stop believing in God, the problem is not that they will believe in nothing. The problem is they will believe anything. Oh, we're certainly in that setting. And then the final C.S. Lewis quote, uh, I've got one more if I remember at the end, but the final one for the intro, uh, when the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction is the one who uh, seems to have lost his mind. When the whole world is running toward a cliff, the person who is running in the opposite direction is the one who who it seems has lost his mind. And can I tell you, that's what Tony Dungy experienced this week. Tony Dungy experienced, you've got all this culture running off the cliff, contrary to God in opposition to the things of God, And Tony Dungy, he wasn't being loud and he wasn't being ugly. He was just being a convictional citizen of the kingdom of God, a member of God's family. um, And he was going in the opposite direction and people called him crazy. Can I suggest, not humbly, but uh, convictionally, that's what our church is supposed to be. This body of believers called First Norfolk, we're not supposed to go with the tide off the cliff, but rather we must stand the ground for the absolute truth that is found not in our politics nor in uh, our uh, tradition, but rather found solely in the absolute truth of the living God in his word. When God's word says it, that must settle it, and we must live by it. And that means we have to stand our ground, go in the opposite direction, not toward the cliff. And that is how we're supposed to be living our lives. That's who this church is is and who we must continue to be. Okay. But when we see the world going off the cliff, we think, is the kingdom of God losing or is it winning and again i got good news mark chapter 4 begin verse 26 then jesus said the kingdom of god is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow and he doesn't know how that happened for the earth yields crops by itself First the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain on the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately the farmer puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And Jesus said, to what shall we compare the kingdom of God? With what parable shall we picture it? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. 
And with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. And when they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. So these two parables, what what do they teach us? What is it that they're speaking into our lives today? Well, the kingdom of God is growing and winning, and nothing can stop it. Not one thing, nothing can stop the kingdom of God from growing and growing immensely. We might look at the culture around us and, they, and, and say, oh, this is, this is the end. It's the end. When you hear prognosticators, either at the pulpit or on your local news station or your favorite news station, and they say that... Um, Our culture has won and there's no hope for Christianity or the church. Or they say uh, the only hope for Christianity or the church is found in this political move or this political person. I want you to know that you need to mark them. You need to reject them because they are false teachers. Some of y'all don't like that and I know. But that's my job to tell you. The kingdom of God is not dependent upon politics. Ever. The kingdom of God is dependent upon God. And God is undefeated. The first lesson we learned from these two parables is that God grows his kingdom. In the two parables, we see that that uh, uh, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a farmer who sows seed and then the crop grows. And the farmer doesn't know how. It just grows by itself. And it produces a big harvest. And then you have this, this picture of a mustard seed that when it's planted, it grows. And even though it's the smallest seed of all the uh, 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 seeds, it grows into this big bush that's about nine feet tall and, and bunches of feet wide. And Jesus was saying, look, you don't have any part of what will end up being this great and glorious kingdom. You, you don't, you're not responsible for the growth. God is. And because God is responsible for the growth, he is unsurprised when Tony Dungy gets lamb blasted for speaking up and saying it's a good thing that Roe v. Wade was overturned. Right? And it, it doesn't feel good when you're on the receiving end of that stick. It, it doesn't, I mean... It, it, it can be painful, it can hurt, but it's okay because God's in charge, he's in control, and he is growing his kingdom. And even though we might think, oh, culture's winning, we need to see what the word of God says. God is growing his kingdom, and there's nothing that's going to stop it. No one, no, no, no thing can stop the growth, the expanse, the immensity of God's kingdom. God is growing his kingdom. And the one to whom we depend 
on the growth of the kingdom. It's not a political movement. It's not a political person. It's not a social movement. It's not an idea. It's not a philosophy. The one person we depend on for the growth of the kingdom is God himself. It is the dominion of God. And he's already crushed Satan. He's already killed death. He's already given us the victory. God is growing his kingdom purposefully. God is growing his kingdom powerfully. And God is growing his kingdom today, right here, right now, victoriously. And don't let anybody, not even those voices in your own head, tell you anything differently. God is growing his kingdom. That's God's part. Second thing, we have a job to do as citizens of the kingdom. And our job is to share the gospel. That's our job. That's your job and it's my job. I was growing up, uh, my brother Brett and I, 16 months apart, uh, my brother Brett and I shared a bedroom. We shared a bedroom up until about 10th grade, uh, up until when I was in 10th grade, and then I got my own room. Um, before that, we just shared a room. We shared a room for 15 years. And uh, it was a joy for him to have me as a roommate. In... Uh, in, in, in our home growing up, um, if um, before we left for school or work or whatever, we had to have our room clean. And having our room clean meant that there were no socks on the floor, that the beds were made. No, it looked like, you know, a showroom. It was a showroom. I, it was an antique bed, antique furniture. Didn't get to put any posters on the wall. I had no posters growing up. That, that's a deprived childhood, I know. And, um, but we had to keep the room clean. And it was a shared responsibility. If the room wasn't cleaned before we left for school, there was a shared consequence. Now, what I mean by that is, I mean, I'm very orderly. But my brother was a mess. That's not true. We were both, we were both teenagers and, uh, and middle schoolers. And, and so it, we would leave a sock here, or leave uh, a, a shirt laying there. And, and if, if my mom walked in in our room, we had left for school and there were pieces of clothing somewhere or there was a notebook out on the desk and it wasn't put into hiding like all other things in our house were put into hiding. Um, because it was a museum, and not a joke, it's true. Uh, but uh, if, if there was something out of, uh, out, the bed wasn't made, it didn't matter if it was Brett's sock or my shirt. It didn't matter if it was Brett's bed or my bed. We had shared consequence. So Brett leaves his sock out, and mom finds it, so Brett doesn't get the consequence by himself. We share the consequence, whatever that is, mow the yard or 
you know, clean the commodes or, or whatever. It was a shared consequence. Shared responsibility, shared consequence. When we look at the kingdom of God, we need to understand that there is a shared responsibility. Every person in this room has a share in the responsibility of sharing the gospel. Jesus compared the kingdom of God with a farmer who scatters the seed of the gospel. And plant the seed. That's our job. That's your job and it's my job. With people you know, uh, with people you see, with places our church reaches, it's our job, our shared responsibility to share the gospel of the kingdom of God. I don't know how to say it to make it more pointed, except be a little bit pointed. If you're not sharing the gospel in some way, if you're not leading someone to see the joy of Christ and the good news of Christ, then you're being disobedient as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Uh, this is not the last C.S. Lewis, Lewis quote, but I'll say this is another one. C.S. Lewis said, uh, you are to shine, not so that people might see you, but so that people might see him. Jesus. That's our job. That's your job. That's my job. It's our job. Shared responsibility. And there are times when um, uh, I need your help in doing that. This past uh, yesterday, uh, the third Saturday of every month, we have this fooding, uh, food uh, uh, distribution uh, for those who are uh, food insecure. And and uh, people come by the hundreds. And, and so uh, it's a great opportunity to share the gospel. You got to share the gospel. Uh, the, the team got to share the gospel yesterday. Shared responsibility. Shared rejoicing. But also a shared consequence as a church if we're being disobedient. You got friends that you go to school with. You have people that you work with. You have a brother or a sister, mother or a father, son or daughter, and they're far from God. You know whose job that is to tell them about Jesus. It's yours. And it's mine. Shared responsibility. And in fact, in the parables of the kingdom, this is really the only job that Jesus gives the church. Everything else is dependent for the growth of the kingdom. Everything else is dependent upon God. And he's given us this one task, share the gospel. When I think about sharing the gospel and people living the mission, there are a lot of people that I think of, but there's one person that has always captured my heart. And that is Kurt Breland. I don't know, it, it, some of you may not know who Kurt uh, is. Kurt Breland, uh, for several years, um, um, was the pastor over our missions. And Kurt was entrepreneurial in his 
approach to missions. He, he all out, solid. And, and everywhere he went, uh, he was an influence for Jesus, everywhere. And not just, not just in Southeast Asia or uh, not just in Malawi or not just uh, in uh, Saltville, Virginia. He, he was uh, a witness for Jesus at Surfrider. He was a witness for Jesus to people that he would meet at a gas station. It's amazing. And uh, he, he's one of those guys that, um, that just influenced my life so much. One of his last mission journeys, um, he uh, went to Hawaii um, and in Hawaii, there was supposed to be about church planting, which was a big deal. Uh, one of the greatest instruments that we have in sharing the gospel is planting churches. That's why we're committed to planting churches. And uh, one of the people that went on that trip uh, with Kurt uh, was Chad Vandiver. And Chad's here today, and, and uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Chad. Chad, uh, from, um, for about a decade now, Chad has been a partner uh, with First Norfolk in helping us plant churches. Uh, our first uh, joint venture. Uh, Chad was the bridge between First Norfolk and La Chapelle. Now, La Chapelle is a, plant, a church plant uh, partner in Montreal, Canada. And uh, we've seen God do amazing things through that that La Chapelle network of churches, and we partner with them uh, on a, uh, a, I mean, it's, it's wonderful. David Potier, who was here a few weeks ago. Uh, David Potier is the pastor up there for the La Chapelle network of churches. And, and so uh, Chad's the one that uh, really uh, got the ball rolling so that we could be uh, a, a church partner with La Chapelle at the very beginning of La Chapelle. Um, and Chad went on this mission journey uh, with Kurt, and uh, they began to talk and began to dream. Kurt began to dream about what God could do uh, through our church to accomplish something bigger than just one thing. And so uh, Chad is here, and we're going to talk for a few minutes. I want you to hear it. And the, the idea is that we as a church must be intentional and extravagant in sharing the gospel. And so I wanted us to talk a little bit about how Kurt saw that and how we can see that. Um, Chad is the director of Empower One, and uh, um, he has been a friend and is a great friend uh, to me. On top of uh, being one of the high, uh, just highly impactful uh, strategists for advancing the kingdom of God uh, through sharing the gospel and church planting. Beyond that, which is huge, um, he is a Dallas Cowboys fan. So, Chad, you come up and let's talk a little bit. Go Cowboys. Giant. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> Hey, Chad's a guest. You can talk to me like that. Don't talk to him like that. 
Chad, tell us about Empower One and, uh, and what, that, what that group, that network does. Absolutely. Well, Empower One started 15 years ago. Uh, man, it was the idea and dream of David Kaya, a Sudanese pastor. He was pastoring First Baptist Church, Kajukeji, in southwestern Sudan at the time. And then an AT&T executive, Mike Congrove, who was at Prestonwood Baptist Church, uh, the two men got together and said, man, uh, Sudan is so hard, it's so lost, we've got to do something about it. And so out of First Baptist Kajukeji, they started Northeast Africa Theological Seminary and began training future church planners. And then out of that, they formed the Sudanese Baptist Convention. And as many of you know, George W. Bush helped start South Sudan uh, there to uh, really create, try to create a democracy. Uh, the leader of uh, Sudan attacked South Sudan in 2016. Many of the people fled, and then that leader is now gone. And so many of the people are coming back. So we have a huge opportunity there in South Sudan. And when you and Kurt were talking, I mean, y'all dreamed about a lot of different yes. things, but um, what, what, would, uh, what was it that y'all were talking about specifically and intentionally for First Norfolk? Absolutely, man. I love Kurt. Uh, he texted, encouraged so many leaders like me uh, who dreamt of how church planting and church multiplication could transform countries. And, you know, in places uh, where there's a lot of darkness and lostness, man, there's nothing more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms those places. Let me say this your church is the most mission-minded church I've ever been to. It's incredible. And so Kurt, man, from his experience here, from what he was doing. Wait, 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 say that last part again. <laughs> I don't think they heard that. Yeah, absolutely. Your church is the most mission-minded church I've ever Come been on, to. Come on, church, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Kurt was so proud of you guys, man. He would share what he was learning here and what he was experiencing. And, and so we came up with the idea of, hey, what if, what I got to start at La Chapelle in Montreal, the Church Multiplication Center, right, which is an incubator of church planners. It's a place where young men can go and, man, who they have dreams about planting churches in their old neighborhoods, in their old cities, and they can go and learn how to plant a church. And so just like at La Chapelle, where David Poitier has like 10 guys under him who are preparing, or the student pastor, kids pastor, worship pastor there, I have 20 people under them. We're doing that throughout South Sudan. And so uh, Kurt uh, texted me actually on September 22nd of 2022 and said, hey, Chad, we have this global missions fund. I think we can help you in Yay, South Sudan. Yeah. So Yay is the city, but Yay <laughs> is the opportunity. Yeah. Uh, tell us uh, what a multiplication center would look like in Yay. Absolutely. Yeah. So with La Chapelle, we just started, you know, a small uh, church plant that has exploded. I've done that 15 times around the world now in different places like Israel, Spain. Well, in Yay, South Sudan, uh, it's the most holistic version of that that I've ever gotten to do. So not only will we have that incubator, that church plant that will launch with 500, just like La Chapelle did in Montreal, will launch with 500 members uh, made up of future church planners who will be trained and sent out. We'll also have an extension of our seminary a secondary and primary school, a, uh, also a pharmacy and clinic, a water kiosk, and then a radio tower. Uh, there's nothing like broadcasting the gospel throughout Northeast Africa, North Africa, the Middle East to transform countries. If you think about Sudan, mm -hmm. South Sudan, primary religion is? Muslim. Muslim. Yeah. And to have a place where we can uh, have a church plant mm -hmm. 
where we're helping to train indigenous pastors. Uh, on top of that, uh, having a primary and a secondary school yep. that we would support, Christian education, yes? Absolutely, yeah. And in Sudan, the country has actually let us do that, which is historic. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, pharmacy, um, a water kiosk, place where you can get water, uh, seminary extension. Uh, I mean, wow. I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah. And then from that, the goal would be to send out pastors, church planters, that's right. uh, all around the region and yeah. beyond. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, our, so my job is, you know, we have 750 churches so far. Right. My job is to double that in the right. next 10 years. So 15 church multiplications will create 750 churches in the next decade. So. <laughs> well, yeah. um, thank you, Chad, for thank sharing, you. and, and uh, uh, thank you for your friendship. Thank you. And uh, thank you for uh, joining me to watch Cowboys tonight. Absolutely. Amen. Thank All right. You. Love you, man. <laughs> Y'all yeah. thank Chad for being here. Thank you. Um, so why, uh, why did I ask Chad to come? Well, because um, I wanted you to hear a dream that Kurt had. And I wanted to ask you, what do we look like if we helped fulfill that dream? More than that, more than that. We have a shared responsibility as citizens of the kingdom of God to share the gospel. And the most effective and efficient way to share the gospel in South Sudan or Sudan is with Sudanese people who have heard the gospel, had their lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have been discipled, who have been trained, and who are sent out to plant churches and make disciples. Um, I can't imagine uh, what God can do with us, First Norfolk, being obedient. So I, I, do, I do want you to know I'm, I'm asking specifically with sentimentality. Um, I would love for us to be able to uh, raise the funds necessary to have a multiplication center that's like a Kurt Breland multiplication center. Um, it's not cheap. It's bigger than, um, not bigger than anything we've done, but it's, it's, a, big, it's a big ticket. And, and yet I know that, I know that we, we join together and we can accomplish with a shared responsibility, we can accomplish what that would take. Now, the other thing is a multiplic multiplication center isn't a one-time gift. I mean, it's a, it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's a, it's a living embodiment of the kingdom of God. And as we sow the seed of the gospel, and as they sow the seed of the gospel, we see God grow his kingdom. It's an amazing thing. 
Now, you might sit here and say, you know, I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know what I can do. It seems so big, enormous. It is. It's a big dream and a big vision. In fact, um, as, as I began to think about 2023, what would be the thing that I really want to lean into? It, it's the multiplication center. That's what I want to lean into in 2023. Um, it, it's bigger than first Norfolk. It is growing the kingdom of God. No, we, it, it's, it's us joining in that wonderful journey that God has set before us. Um, and it's big. It's huge. But it, it, it begins with small steps. I want you to understand the parable of the mustard seed is that God is producing a harvest that, that's glorious. God is producing a glorious harvest. But that glorious harvest begins with a mustard seed. Just a little, small, insignificant seed that when it is planted by the hand of God, it grows into this enormous harvest. Big tree, bush. Six feet tall, nine feet wide, nine feet tall, six feet wide, something like that. When God takes something that may seem insignificant to us, but it's an act of obedience. It's where we're stepping forward and we're saying, yes, yes, we'll do this. It may be a small step, but you know, greatness, great things always begin in the small things, sometimes unseen things. Even baby steps, what we call baby steps, even baby steps is movement forward. And so maybe you need to take a baby step today, but a step forward. You, you, maybe you need to start with something small. That's okay, but let's start. Last C.S. Lewis quote. I, that's like five in one sermon. I'm over my quota. Tim, aren't I over my quota in the C.S. Lewis quotes? By at least two. Yeah, you're so good. As C.S. Lewis, and this is in, in, on the lips of one of his characters in Chronicles of Narnia, he said, you, you can't change the past. You can't rewrite the past. But you can start today. You can't write rewrite the beginning, but you can start today and write the ending. You, you, can't, you can't rewrite the beginning. You can't make that different than it is. Uh, my, my yesterday is my yesterday. I can't change it. Goodness knows I wish I could. All I can do is today begin the story for the ending. If I'm going to be the man I want to be, then I need to begin by being the man I need to be. Today, I, I just want to challenge you. Take a step. It's your responsibility. God does number one. God does number three. We only have one piece in this puzzle. Let's take ownership. Let's commit ourselves wholeheartedly to take the step, whatever step that is. And today, maybe that step is, all right, maybe I need to uh, invest resources, my finances, 
my money. I need to invest above and beyond my tithe. I need to invest in seeing a multiplication center in a place where the gospel is um, the only light anyone will ever see, right? And maybe, that's, maybe that's the beginning step. Uh, maybe it's inviting someone. Uh, February the 12th. On February the 12th, we're going to do things differently. Now, that, that day I'm preaching a message called God's Last Appeal. And it's from a parable that Jesus told in Mark's gospel on uh, uh, how God sent Jesus as his final appeal to those who are far from God. And on that day, we're going to begin by singing a, a, a song called He Is. And then after that song, lights down, everything's going to feel different. After that first song, then I'm going to preach. And that sermon is not for saved people as much as it is for people who are far from God. It is going to be direct. It is going to be pointed. It is going to be asking people who are far from God to find life and hope and joy through faith in Jesus Christ. And there are people that you know, friends that you have, family members, and they're far from God, and they need a relationship with God. They need to be brought into God's family through faith in Christ. And maybe the small step is I'm going to commit today to do everything I can between now and February 12th to have that friend with me. I'm going to invite. I'm going to invite people that maybe I don't even know, but you want them with you here to hear the gospel. And it after, after the message, I'm going to ask people to stand and go to the back. Anybody that wants to accept Christ as Savior and King, I'm going to ask them to stand and go to the back to the next step station. And then after they go to the back, then we're all going to stand and we're going to sing songs of worship and praise and celebration, what God has done. It, it, it's going to be a different day, but it's a day where you can invite you're one to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Encourage you to do that. Maybe that's the small step. But whatever it is, will you commit today to take that step? Baby step, big step, doesn't matter. Will you commit today to do it? Let's bow our heads together right now. In these next few moments, we're going to stand uh, and we're going to sing a song, and it's called Come to the Altar. And, and really, it's a it's an invitation for us to open our lives and open our hearts and give our all to Jesus, to come to Jesus and find nourishment for our soul, come to Jesus and find courage uh, to do what he's asked us to do, come to Jesus and find, uh, again, uh, comfort for our um, hurts and healing for our heart. But as we sing this song, I, I don't want you just to use the words of the song. I, I, I want you to think about them. There are going to be ministers here, and we would love to pray with you for the commitments that you need to make. And maybe you just want to come to this altar and pray. And maybe you want to uh, sing the song as a personal reflection and then make a commitment. Oh, God, I want to, I want to pick up my shared responsibility. I want to share with others the gospel. Help me take that step. Now, Father, 
In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would spark something in every heart. The courage and the faith we need to be obedient to you. May this time of response and commitment break through every barrier between us and saying yes to your call. 